Well, good morning. <clears throat> that was pretty awesome. Uh, recently, over the past few weeks, I have felt, and I hope you guys have felt, uh, an overwhelming sense that <clears throat> that God is working in our teens. <clears throat> uh, I cry a lot, so. I won't cry about this, but when it comes to teens, I get emotional. But God is wanting to do stuff. God wants them to step forward, and that was just really awesome. Uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, I was talking to Mark a few weeks ago, and he was trying to give me some pointers because uh, I haven't had the opportunity to preach a whole lot. And one of the things that he told me was that I need the congregation to get to know me because some of you... I might be a new face. Some of you maybe have never met me before. By the way, my name is John. Uh, I don't think I said that, but my name's John. Uh, so I'm going to give you a little background of myself. So I grew up in the Catholic Church. Um, yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun for a long time. Um, but uh, as I progressed, I started playing basketball and football and all that when I was really young. So I think I started playing basketball when I was in preschool. Uh, and uh, it kind of took over my life uh, and my family's life because as parents, you know, whatever your kids do, you have to do. Um, so my parents, uh, I was a little spoiled. They did everything they possibly could to give me the best life that they could give me. So uh, sports kind of took over church. You know, I would go to tournaments every weekend, so church wasn't, uh, we weren't able to go to church. Um, so uh, when I was in, I think I was in third grade, I went to Catholic school from preschool until third grade. And then in third grade, uh, my grandma passed away. I was very, very close to my grandma. She watched me when my parents were at work, when I would get home from school and stuff like that. And we just had this relationship. I'm one of, I think, five or four uh, grandkids, but I was clearly the favorite. And it, like, like so, some people have to guess. There was no guessing. I was clearly the favorite. I was her baby. I was the angel. Uh, I did no wrong. Even if I did wrong, I did no wrong. It was everybody else's fault. Uh, and, and when I was in third grade, she got really sick and ended up passing away. And as a third grader, I was too immature to realize that even though I prayed and asked God to heal her and save her, and it didn't happen, that that wasn't just him taking her away from me. But that's what I thought at the time. So uh, I wasn't too happy with God for a long time. And uh, basketball and football quickly took over everything. So that was, you know, church was hardly ever. We went to church. Uh, and then my senior year of high school, I got kicked off my basketball team. So when I got into high school, I thought I was really cool because I played sports. So I turned into the stereotypical jock and just treated everybody really bad, partied, did all those, you know, things that go along with that territory most of the time. It made me not a great person, so I can understand why I got kicked off my team. Uh, I wasn't very coachable. I missed one practice, and my coach was like, hey, you know what, don't ever come back. Like, we don't need you here. Don't worry about it. Which, at the time, I was devastated. Uh, it was 
one of the most painful things I've ever had to go through. But looking back as an adult now, I see that it was the best thing that could ever have happened to me. Uh, I started going to church. I started hanging out with a group of kids that I didn't normally hang out with. And their rule was if you were there on Wednesday at five, you had to go to church. If you were there at Sunday or Saturday night, spent the night, you had to go to church Sunday morning. Uh, I basically just went to church to play dodgeball. Uh, our youth group, we played dodgeball every time we met. And sometimes if it was a lot of fun, we just kept playing and maybe had a little message at the end. Uh, but that was mostly my fault because I always begged to play. Uh, and then eventually over time, the youth pastor started speaking into me and, and loving on me. And I started getting into that frame of building my life around Christ. Uh, so four things, four facts that I want you to know about me. I know a lot of weird things about sports. Like I just know a lot of weird sports facts. So like I can tell you basically where anybody, any professional athlete went to college within the realm of basketball and football. Uh, it's really annoying. You can ask Josh Siebold about it. I think we were watching a basketball game one time and he couldn't name a single player on the court and I told him who they were and where they went to college and then like half the bench where they went to college and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I can just memorize that for some reason. And I always think to myself, if I could memorize scripture, like I memorized that, I might be on the same level as Levi Atherton. <laughs> might be. I'd be close, but I don't think I, I'd get there. Um, the second fact is my spiritual gift is not eloquence. Uh, I don't have a bunch of words in my vocabulary. I'm very simple. Uh, and I think God made me that way, so I don't say more than I should, like I do most of the time. Um, and then my, my spiritual gift is loving people. I don't always do it in the stereotypical way. Uh, if you ever see me interact with teens, you might think that I'm just always mad at them, but that's the way I show love to them, and they know that, and they're used to it by now. So, uh, yeah, they get it. And uh, the third one is from a very early age, I would uh, fail projects at school because I would have to talk about the project, like in front of people. So in eighth grade for the science fair, I built a hovercraft, like a working hovercraft. It was really awesome. Two people can fit on it. We tied a rope to it, and then we used my dirt bike, and we'd fly people up and down the street. It was very dangerous, but we did it. Um, but I failed that project because I had to talk about it, and I couldn't talk in front of people because people terrify me. Well, I mean, they still do, kind of. But uh, much so back then, I was I, I, crippling anxiety. I couldn't speak in front of people. The fourth thing, you know the, the phrase where people say, um, like, oh, he's tiptoeing on the line or he's walking on the line? Well, like, if the line's right here, I tend to live, like, five miles past the line. Uh, I'm a very challenging person. I don't know if any of you know or have taken the Enneagram test, but most of the time you're, like, a number wing another number. I'm straight eight, which is a challenger. Like, I'm all challenge. Um, so, with that being said... If I say something today, just know that I'm trying to challenge you. All right? I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm trying to, th I'm trying to make you think differently. Okay, so today we're going to talk about some choices that maybe we don't always let God into. Some choices in our lives that we don't always let God be in the center of those. 
And that first choice that we're going to talk about is people. We don't always let God in the center of our relationships because sometimes it's hard. You meet somebody new. You don't, all, all, you don't want to just jump at them and say, hey, do you know about Jesus? Uh, fun fact, when Mark gave out my number before I started, the best text I got, and I got like 200 and some texts, the best text I got was, hey, this is so-and-so. And then the next text was, do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Uh, and it, it was hilarious, and I laughed. I laughed for probably like 20 minutes. Um, but it's hard for us to center Jesus in our relationships with people. So go ahead to the... The first um, scripture we're going to use is from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Um, we've been here seven months, so short, short period of time, and this is the biggest cloud that we've ever had. Uh, the people in this church are absolutely amazing. They care, like immensely care. Um, and it's, it's easy. It's easy to be in that cloud. It's easy to have Jesus in the center of those relationships. It's easy for us to want that. Okay, can you go to the next? Oh, okay. Okay, so the second part of that verse is, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we make sure that our relationships are rooted in Jesus, when we make sure that God is at the center of those relationships, it's easy. It flows easy. It, it lets us talk to them. It lets us be open with them. Um, so I'm, I'm probably just going to call people out by name during the service, so don't get offended if I call you out by name because it's probably going to be for a good reason. But Dean and Jess Harshman, I feel like the first conversation I had with them, I was like the most open I've ever been with anybody besides Hannah. Like it was just so easy to, to be with them because we know that our relationship was not just superficial. It was rooted already, like the first conversation we had with them. Um, and then go to the next scripture. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So I'm going to stop there. It's really easy for us to be able to pinpoint sin and to be able to call it out and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. Okay, you need to be better at this. You need to do this different. But if we're not gentle, if we don't come at it and form a relationship, if we don't let that person know that we care about them and that we love them, but not just us, but that Jesus cares about them, if we're not gentle, then it's not going to work. We're not going to be able to save that person, or we're not going to let Jesus work through us to save that person if we can't be gentle and we can't love them first. So then the rest of the scripture says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We're not meant to do this alone. 
right? We're not meant to carry our burdens by ourselves. We're not meant to struggle by ourselves. That's why we have our cloud. We're meant to carry each other's burdens. We're meant to have those deep conversations where, you know, you share something that's been weighing on you and pushing you down so other people can share that burden with you and help you shoulder that pain or that hurt or that anxiety or depression that you're going through. It's not meant to be just you. It's meant to be with the people that love Jesus and love you. Um, go ahead to Proverbs. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This verse, uh, to me, is really encouraging, right? Like it's, it's strong, it's powerful, you see it, you get excited. Okay, if I hang out with somebody and we have these deep theological conversations and we talk about Jesus, we share that love, we share that relationship, we're going to sharpen each other, right? But I have a question for you. What are you being sharpened for? If you're just there in your cloud, or if you're there with your friends and you're in that little huddle, what are you being sharpened for? Uh, when I was preparing for this, I'm a very visual person, so the only thing that I could think of was uh, like the swords above the Bond villain fireplace. Like they just have swords sitting up there, and they're just sitting there to not be used. So what are you being sharpened for? God doesn't want us to just sit in our huddles and get sharp and then just sit there. He wants us to go out and fight for his kingdom. Now, I know you said that you have to be gentle, right? But you also have to fight. There is stuff going on. There are things going on, and it's a battle. And he has put people in your life. He has put situations in your life to sharpen you so you are able to cut through that and you're able to fight those battles, not on your own, with your cloud and with him. Uh, it's great to have close Christian friends, but like I said, if we're not going out into the world, then we're kind of just falling short. If we're not using our platform, if we're not using our love that Jesus has given us, then we're kind of just stalemate. All right? Um, so in, in, uh, in Mark, Jesus goes to his hometown. He is there for a while. He's preaching. He's doing miracles. He's doing all these incredible things. Uh, and then people, for some reason, start to doubt him. Now, I know it's easy for us uh, as people today to be able to read Scripture and be like how, how, like, how did people doubt that he was the Messiah? How did people doubt that he was our Savior? But people started to doubt even in his hometown. So in Mark, he says, this is Jesus, he says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from, the, from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Jesus could have come and done all this by himself. Jesus could have come and performed all these miracles, preached everywhere. He could have done it all by himself. He didn't need help. He didn't need the 12 disciples. But he still called them anyway. And when he went back to his hometown, 
And he saw that even though he was doing everything that his father had told him to do and had called him to do and had shepherded him to do, that people were still lacking in faith. So he took his 12 disciples and he gave them authority. He took the 12 and said, hey, I need you to go out. I could do this on my own, but I need you to go out. I need you to show the people how powerful we can be. And notice he didn't send them out like, hey, you go there, you go there, you go there, one by one. He sent them out two by two. So that way, when they were out and they were preaching and they were doing all these things, doing miracles, when they were, when they were depleted, when they were getting down, they had each other. It wasn't just the one. They had two of them there. So that brings me to my next point. And that's your environment. We don't always let God in our environment. So um, I worked in the secular world for 10 years, 12 years, something like that, 29, so like some, sometime. It was a long time. Uh, so I know that your environment plays a giant role in who you are and what your identity is. Uh, I worked in a warehouse, and for those of you who ever worked in a warehouse, it's not easy to be a Christian in a warehouse. Uh, And I tell teens all the time, uh, even though you graduate high school, you never really leave high school uh, because everybody has drama and everybody wants to tell you their drama and get it off their chest and whine about it. But your environment plays a huge role in how you spend time with God and, and what your identity is. So it's really easy to be a Christian It's really easy to do godly things inside these walls. It's really easy to be a Christian on Sunday morning. It's really easy to come and worship on Sunday morning. It's easy to come and hang out with your friends on Wednesday night and play dodgeball and have a a conversation. But what happens when you leave? What happens when this environment, when you're not in this environment? It's all too often, and I'm speaking to myself here, so when I say these things, you might think like, oh man, he's calling us out. When, I, when I'm speaking these things, I'm speaking more into my life than any of your guys' life. Like I struggle with these things just as much as, as some of you might. But all too often, we get really, really hyped up in here. We, we get on fire for God, and then all of a sudden, as soon as we walk through the doors right there, it's like it's left. It's like, okay, well, that, w- that was really good in there, and we'll have that again next Sunday. But I'm just going to wait until then. Or, okay, I'm walking through the doors of my work. I'm going to have a good day today. And then someone comes up and just automatically complains, and you just are done for the whole day. And, uh, I mean, we're all probably guilty of this. But our environment, it shouldn't just be meeting Jesus in here because Jesus can work a lot of things out there. So Jesus performed a lot of miracles. Can anyone tell me how many he did inside the temple? You can shout it out. It's okay. Zero. Were you here for a service? (laughs) Yeah, zero. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to reach the people in the temple. Jesus knew that his job was to go out into the world. Jesus knew that his job was to be with the people that were struggling out in the real world. Real world. 
uh, ever since I got the job here, it's been like really awesome. So I always say the real world because I worked in the secular world is that's the real world. And then this is kind of like, which is really awesome. So I don't call it the real world. Uh, but Jesus knew that he had to go out. Jesus knew that he had to save the people that were sick and that were hurting. And that's how he was going to fulfill his father's promise. Uh, when Moses was called to go back to Egypt, where was he? He was in the wilderness. You were also here for a service. What great job, Logan. Uh, when Jesus called the 12 disciples, they weren't in the temple. They were working. They were doing their job. And Jesus spoke into them and said, hey, I need you guys to be on this path. You're on this path. You're going down this way, but I need you to go down this path. I need you to stick with me, and we, we're going to do some incredible things. Um, COVID, I'm going to bring it up. I know everybody enjoyed it. Uh, we can look at COVID two different ways. It was terrible. Yes, it was. But COVID also gave us a chance to be able to meet God in different places, right? We couldn't meet here every Sunday. We couldn't congregate. We couldn't worship together. We couldn't, I mean, physically together. I hope that we still listened online and we're able to worship in our homes and we were still worshiping at the same time together, but we weren't together. We weren't in this building. COVID made it tough. But we're still here. We were able to make it through it, and I hope that we were able to learn that Jesus doesn't just meet in this building. Jesus doesn't just meet us here. Um, so I like to bring this up just because I think that it's a wall that we put up. But uh, don't get me wrong, I have had amazing experiences at an altar. I have cried more at an altar probably than anywhere else in my life. Uh, I've met Jesus more at an altar than anywhere else in my life. But I feel like sometimes we think that, that this has a magical power to it, that we can only meet Jesus at this altar. And it might be Tuesday, it might be Wednesday or Thursday, and we have this feeling, we have this overwhelming sense that the Spirit is trying to talk to us. But instead of listening to it or talking back, we say, okay, well, it's Friday, Sunday's in two days, I'll just go to the altar. I'll wait until I, I can be there to talk to Jesus. And with COVID, I had to realize that I needed to make other things my altar. I've prayed more at my steering wheel over the past three years than I think I've ever prayed in the first 22 years I was alive, or 25 years I was alive. Uh, I worship, I've worshipped more in my car than I have anywhere else. COVID taught us that Jesus is all around. Jesus just isn't just in this building. We, we don't just go to this piece of wood. Now, I, I do respect the altar, and I think it has power, but we don't just go to this piece of wood because the piece of wood has no power. What has the power is the name that you go to when you go to the altar. And that name's everywhere. You can reach him all the time. It's not just when you want to or when you feel like you can go to the altar to be with him. Okay, go ahead to John. 
The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So for those of you who don't know, um, Israel's temple was demolished. It got uh, lit up and, and ran over in a war. And then it took them 46 years of prayer and building for them to resurrect the new temple. And then Jesus came along. And Jesus is talking to them. And when he says that he's going to raise the temple in three days, Jesus isn't going to come in and demolish this temple. But what he is saying is when he gets hung up on the cross and he dies, in three days, the new temple will be in all of us. Because when Jesus died, he didn't just die for one of us or two of us. Jesus died to save all of us. And he didn't just die to save us, but he died to be able to live in us and to be able to speak through us and be able to love through us so we can show God and Jesus to other people. Um, if you have that feeling of the Holy Spirit, every once in a while you have that like overwhelming feeling that you should do something. Like, oh, I should go pray for that person. Or uh, a lot of times for me, it's when I'm driving down the highway and then there's somebody stopped. And I'm like, oh, I should have stopped. Listen to that feeling. If you start taking opportunities to listen to that feeling, it'll change your life. Uh, <coughs> I, I like to say too that uh, how often do you think God was trying to call Moses before he had to light a bush on fire? I mean, Moses was wandering for 40 years, and then all of a sudden this bush was on fire, but not really on fire. It was this spectacular thing. But how many opportunities do you think God was trying to put in front of Moses that he just wasn't seeing before he had to light the bush on fire? So there are opportunities. God is trying to do things in your life. God is trying to put things in your path, and he's giving you that urge. I mean, that feeling you have when you're standing there in worship, and you're really into it. And you're like, oh, I kind of want to raise my hands, but I don't want to be weird. And like, I'm just going to stand here like I normally do. Don't push those feelings away. Like, there's a reason that those are coming into you. There's a reason that the Holy Spirit is pushing you to do things, to get out of your comfort zone. Which brings me to my next point. Our attitudes. We, uh, it's really easy for us to not let Jesus into that. It's hard for us to humble ourselves. It's hard for us to say, okay, I could look at it this way. I could let God into it. I could pray about it. Or I could figure it out on my own. I can do it. I know Jesus enough. I can just do it. Right? Our attitudes are our first sign to the outside world of, of our faith. If we have a poor attitude, 
it's not going to look good. So how many of you believe that uh, faith is a choice? You can raise your hands. Raise your hands. Interact. The first service, no one interacted. No one wanted to raise their hand. A little bit of the second service as well. But, uh, faith is a choice. Faith is something that you have to choose. God gave us free will. He didn't just come down and say, hey, you have to do this. Hey, you have to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Faith is a choice. Faith is something that you have to choose. Okay? Um, go to the... Uh, I, there's four Gospels. All four are written very differently from each other. And in three of the Gospels, Jesus says this, word for word. Uh, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It's not, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you just got to be a good person. Hey, uh, if you want to be my disciple, you have to smile at people. You have to shoulder burdens. You have to be willing to do the things that he's called you to do that you just really don't want to do. You have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, like I said, um, I was the kid that would fail huge projects because I didn't want to speak in front of people. So this is extremely out of my comfort zone. Uh, the first Sunday I was here was extremely out of my comfort zone because I, I, I didn't normally preach in front of teens. But ever since I've been willing to say, yes, God, take me and use me. Take me and lead me where you want me to be. It's gotten a little easier each time. Uh, the first time I preached, it was seven minutes long. And somebody came up and said, hey, I do public speaking at work. It's going to get easier. <clears throat> it's gotten like that much easier, right? Like it hasn't gotten a whole lot easier. Like I thought it was like the second time I did it, I was like, oh, I'm going to be good. Like this is going to be great. It's still taking time, but it's the, the attitude and the posture of just saying yes and being willing to go where God is leading you to go. Um, our students getting up here, uh, we have four that are underclassmen. So there's seven in the band, four underclassmen, which means they are in seventh grade or eighth, uh, seventh or eighth grade. And then two are freshmen, I think. One's a freshman. So like half of our band are just really young kids. And the amount of confidence it takes to get up there and lead worship blows my mind that they're able to do that as seventh and eighth graders. But it's because they've recognized that God has given them a talent and they don't want to hide that under a tent, that they want to show that and let God use them. And that's the attitude and posture that they come with to our youth group. And that's what makes our youth group so much fun. Uh, but to go back to my point, we have to choose God daily. We have to be able to, to pick up that cross. And I think there's a dude that walks around Xenia that has a cross and has wheels on the back. And he actually like carries around a cross. I'm not telling you that you have to do that. But you have to be able to be willing to pick up your burdens, other people's burdens, and shoulder those, and do the things that God has called you to do that you just are really uncomfortable by. So 
these three things that I've talked about this morning, they're all connected. Uh, if you keep one for yourself and give two to God, you kind of miss the point. Uh, if you keep two for yourself and give one to God, obviously you've missed the point. You can't keep something and give the rest to God. You have to give it all, everything, everything that's holding you down, all your burdens, your fears, your anxieties, you have to give everything. So I'm going to tell you a story, uh, and I'm going to connect all, all three of these points. So when I was uh, like a year and a half out of high school, um, right after high school, I, when I graduated, I said, you know, I don't want to leave the youth group. Uh, I really feel like I got cheated out of time with the youth group, so I'm just not going to leave. I'm just going to stick around. And I was told kind of no, but then I said, I don't care. I'm just going to stick around. Um, and I eventually became a youth leader. I eventually got my own um, Wednesday night small group that I was able to lead. And in one night in this small group, we were talking about their salvation story. And they were seventh and eighth grade boys. And they were talking about all these moments like, oh, I remember what the sun looked like. I remember what the clouds looked like. I remember where I was driving, the radio station we were listening to. My dad was going 22 miles an hour. Like, it was all these very, very specific things. And I was looking at them, and I'm like, hey, like I'm 23. I haven't had that. Like, I'm supposed to be leading you, and I haven't had that. So I stayed a little bit after with my youth pastor, and uh, we, were, we were just sitting there talking uh, on the couches. And if you, were in the, if you were in a youth room 10 years ago, you know that it was really cool to have, like, old hand-me-down couches like all the couches that a youth pastor would drive past on the curb, they would probably just pick it up and then take it to their youth room. Uh, and I said, hey, I haven't had that. Like, I don't know if I've met Jesus. I don't know if I've been able to have that interaction with him. So instead of taking me 200 feet down the hallway where, there, where our sanctuary was and where the altars were, he said, okay, let's, let's get down. Let's get into a posture where we can talk to Jesus. So we knelt at an ottoman <clears throat> that was crusty, dirty, stinky. I mean, it was just gross, right? When the altar was 200 feet down the hallway. <clears throat> and, and we met Jesus there in a very, very real way. <clears throat> People, my youth pastor didn't take the time to say, hey, we're going to worry about our environment. We're going to go down the hallway and we're going to go to the altar because that's where we're going to meet Jesus. No, we're going to make this place our altar. We're going to make this place where we meet Jesus. It doesn't matter that it's old and crusty and stinky and gross. Jesus can still meet us here. And he just asked me to be open. Uh, I actually didn't even pray out loud because at that point I wasn't comfortable enough yet to pray out loud. And... Uh, I just came with an attitude, and he prayed over me, and then he gave me a little bit of time to pray. But the attitude, so people, place, and thing changed my life <clears throat> forever in a good way. So if you're sitting there thinking like, oh, okay, cool, like that's a really cool story. I'm glad that that, that, that happened to you. Just remember that God uses us as his vessels, God's going to put you in people's lives for a reason. 
God's going to use you to work. But you have to have the right attitude, and you can't let your environment change who you are. You have to be willing to surrender all of that. So my, my question to you is, what's your story? How are you going to use your story? I'm a firm believer, and I think that my story is the most powerful weapon I have against the enemy. My story of how I was loved, even though I didn't deserve it. My story of being saved, even though I didn't deserve it, is my most powerful weapon that I have. So what's your story, and how are you going to use it? Uh, Our teens, some of our teens are going to come forward, and they're going to get communion ready. And while they're coming forward, uh, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to not make this emotion thing. I told you I grew up Catholic. So anytime I would go to service or mass, we would take communion. And it became a thing that wasn't meaningful. It became a thing where you just walked up the aisle you, uh, I have a really funny story about communion, too, if you ever want to hear it, but it's, it's really funny. Um, it, but it's not just something that you walk up the aisle, you stand there, you take the bread, then you take the wine, and then you go back. But this is, this is our representation. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus came here to do. This is what Jesus left for us. He left his body. He left his blood for us to be saved, for us to be clean. So if you come up here and you're just going through the motions, if this is just another thing you do on Sunday morning, I challenge you to think about it differently. Don't just let it be something that happens. Take it as a meaningful thing. So as you come forward, we'll get ready to receive communion.